Today's episode is brought to you by the Yashichi. In the middle of a long gauntlet and out of life and weapon energy? Get yourself a Yashichi today and get 100,000 bonus points for free. This item is available for a limited time only in 1987's Mega Man on this episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name is Carlisle, and this is my chronicle of playing through the entirety of the Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100 plus games in between as possible. Before we begin covering this episode's game, uh, because this is the first episode, let's hit up a little bit of introduction to what I'm even attempting to undertake here. So, some quick questions. One, what games am I planning to play? As many of them as I can get my hands on. I know there's a handful that are out of the question because they simply don't exist anymore, but I'm still going to do my best to play as many as I can. In what order are we going to be playing them? Roughly chronologically. We'll, we'll see how well that works out. There are a ton of platformers early on, and I may need to jump around a bit just for my own sanity, but let's see what happens. Am I going to be playing fan games, spin-offs, etc.? Uh, spin-offs? Yeah, probably. Games that just contain Mega Man characters as cameos? It's quite likely, just to shake things up. Fan games? We'll, we'll have to see. As much as I would love to do episodes on things like 20XX or One Step from Eden, the fact is, is Mega Man itself has roughly 100 games in the series. That wasn't a joke. We're going to have a lot to do as is. Uh, how long do I plan for episodes to be? As long as they need to be. Uh, what's your history with Mega Man? I grew up playing the Mega Man games, but I haven't touched any of them besides Mega Man 11 in like the better part of a decade. My memory's pretty fuzzy, and there were plenty of them that I never really played in the first place, especially the more obscure ones, so it's time to put some fresh eyes on things. Why is this podcast titled, What Am I Podcasting For? Well, if we make it to about our one-year anniversary episode, we'll talk about the game that inspired that title. I'm sure there's probably a few people listening who know. Anyway, let's get on with the show with the game that started it all, titled quite simply, Mega Man. The year is 1987. Two years prior, Nintendo changed the face of the video gaming industry with the Nintendo Entertainment System, a hugely successful home gaming console whose historic impact would probably make up an entire podcast in and of itself. Many companies are jumping on board the system, one of which is the arcade publisher and developer Capcom. These days, Capcom's name is one of the most beloved in gaming, having established the modern fighting game genre with Street Fighter II, popularized survival horror with Resident Evil, and being responsible for countless other beloved series from Ace Attorney to Devil May Cry. At the time, though, their library was only a handful of arcade titles, like 1942 or Ghost Goblins. 1987 would see the first launch of a number of titles that would become legendary series in their own right. The first entries in Metal Gear, Contra, Punch-Out!, Fantasy Star, The Legend of Zelda, Final Fantasy, all of these released their first titles in 1987, and Capcom was among them with a brand new title that unexpectedly would launch one of the most prolific franchises in gaming history, Mega Man.
brilliant scientist, Dr. Light, conceived the construction of fully operational human-like experimental robots to perform specific everyday duties. Dr. Light and his assistant, Dr. Wiley, encouraged by their very first near-human robot, Mega Man, proceeded to develop six additional humanoids, all programmed to perform prescribed rituals. But, with the exception of Mega Man, all of Dr. Light's near-human robot experimentation went awry. Assistant Dr. Wiley turned disloyal, reprogramming Dr. Light's humanoids, now bent on destroying opposition so Dr. Wiley could control the world and its resources. Resisting the reprogramming, Mega Man is chosen as the defender of the universe and its inhabitants. Mega Man dares to single-handedly penetrate seven separate empires of Monsteropolis, eliminating its leader and followers of those sovereignties. Um, if that sounds a little bit crazy to you, and like I just made a bunch of stuff up, that's actually apparently the North American Instruction Manual's um, text for how Mega Man starts. That's not it at all, and that's a little inaccurate, to say the least. The localization team kind of just did whatever they wanted, because honestly, at the time, it was expected it was going to be a one-off game. In truth, the story of the Mega Man series, the classic Mega Man series, is a little bit more than that. The actual tale begins in the 20th century. Both Thomas Light and Albert Wiley are roboticists who attended the same university. While Dr. Light would go on to become a huge success, Dr. Wiley's jealousy of Dr. Light's success drove him into the shadows. Dr. Light decided to turn his education to developing robots that would benefit mankind. Purely by accident, he ended up developing the first artificial intelligence, who we'll go on to talk about in a later game when they appear. The next project that Dr. Light worked on were two robots named Rock and Roll, who were intended to be assistants to Dr. Light. From there, Dr. Light began to build a number of other robots who were intended for more practical uses in industrial areas, to take care of jobs that were dangerous for humankind. However, after completing his first six robots, Dr. Wiley decided he'd had enough of watching his old rivals succeed, and so Dr. Wiley stole the robots from Dr. Light and reprogrammed them. He chose to pass over Rock and Roll because they were just assistant robots rather than anything he could practically use in a conquest to take over the world. But that would ultimately be his undoing. Rock volunteered to be refitted by Dr. Light, and thus Mega Man was born. For those who aren't familiar with what a Mega Man game actually plays like, it is what was very, very popular at the time, which was a two-dimensional platform. However, there were two things about the Mega Man series that would go on to make waves and really help define the series as something distinct and something of its own. The first was the open stage selection format. Rather than putting you through stage 1, stage 2, stage 3, stage 4, stage 5, like many other games would have at the time, Mega Man gave you the freedom to choose your own progression through the initial stages. In this title, you have six different stages that you can complete in any order. After completing them, you will eventually go on to the final gauntlet of stages. But the fact that you had control over your own progression through the game was very distinctive for the time. And that alone would have been alright. But it's the main gimmick of Mega Man that really helped define the series. Mega Man has the ability to borrow the weapons of the bosses that he defeats, which means that for each stage that you have cleared, you have now gained additional tools that will help you take down enemies, 
traverse stages, and fight bosses in each successive stage. Beyond that, though, Mega Man's controls are very, very simple. He has a button to jump and a button to shoot. And while he would, in later games, develop additional baseline capabilities, that's literally it. You have a default weapon that is essentially a lemon shooter, as it is often joked about being, and you have the ability to jump, and that's it. Every other capability you pick up, you need to earn from your bosses. I should take this moment to introduce that the six stages are each themed after the robot master that is waiting at the end of you. The different Dr. Light robots that have been stolen. Cutman, Gutsman, Iceman, Bombman, Fireman, and Electman are our six opponents in this game. Given that you have the ability to tackle these six robot masters in any order, you would expect that the difficulty would be roughly even between them, but that's, that's really not the case in this title. The difficulty in these stages actually varies very wildly. Bombman and Cutman stages are actually very simple, assuming you don't try to just rush through them recklessly without a whole lot of things that will really endanger you. By comparison, the second half of Iceman stage contains a segment where you have to jump on a series of appearing and disappearing blocks and then traverse a gigantic pit on platforms that move semi-randomly and also shoot sideways and there's enemies flying at you and falling into the pit will instantly kill you. Elac Man stage is a vertical stage that isn't likely to instant kill you but has tons of opportunities for you to potentially fall multiple rooms in a row and lose a bunch of progress. Fireman stage has damage that without a specific tool is actually going to be pretty much impossible to avoid. And Gutsman stage starts with a segment involving moving platforms over a pit where the platforms will stop functioning as platforms at certain points. It is somewhat infamous and also after you beat that segment of the stage, the rest of the stage is a joke. It's a little bit weird from a modern standpoint to look at them. However, I think this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Part of the design of this game seems to have been that you would want to come back to some of these stages once you've gotten a little bit better and have gotten access to some better tools. One of the other things that really defines Mega Man is also the fact that every boss has a significant weakness. So even if you can reach a boss, if you can't seem to kill it, bringing a weapon from another stage may just give you the edge that you need. Which is really good, because much like the difficulty in stages, boss difficulty is also really just a roll of the dice. On the simpler end, for instance, we have Iceman, who just jumps up, firing three different height ice slashes in your direction, and then as he comes back down, fires another three. Precise jumps will get you through them. Cutman walks around semi-randomly and occasionally throws a boomerang-like pair of scissors at you. Pretty easy bosses to handle. By comparison, Elecman has a gigantic and quick shot that is extremely difficult to avoid if you don't know what you're getting into. And Fireman, until you figure out that you want to back him into a corner, is pretty much going to spam you with projectiles and lingering ground effects that will utterly slaughter any attempt to fight fair against him. On the other hand, bring the weaknesses from other bosses to these fight and they become jokes. You really don't have to worry about Elec Man's high damage and difficult to avoid attacks when you can kill him in three hits by bringing Cutman's weapon. Uh, to further detail some of the other boss fights really quick, uh, Gutsman is just a very straightforward boss who just Every time he jumps and lands, because he is a big boy, the ground will shake, and if you're not in the air, you'll be stunned, and occasionally a boulder will fall down, he'll catch it, and he'll toss it at you. It's pretty simple to deal with. Bomb Man, similarly, just jumps around and occasionally throws out a bomb. 
which isn't actually all that bad, but it does have a significantly larger blast radius than pretty much anything in the game. Otherwise, most of the bosses are fairly easy. One thing that is a little bit different about this game in comparison to later games is that the Mega Man games traditionally employ a checkpointing system as you go through the stage. If you die, you'll fall back to the previous checkpoint you were at. Normally, this is one checkpoint halfway through the stage, and then one checkpoint at what is essentially a hallway that leads directly into the boss. In Mega Man 1, this hallway is actually a small gauntlet of its own, where you'll have a couple more enemies thrown at you, or obstacles you'll need to dodge around in order to reach the boss, which means you're not necessarily entering into a boss fight after dying with full health. It's also entirely possible for a boss's lingering projectile to kill you after you have killed them, because they aren't wiped away when the boss is defeated, and there's actually an item that falls down that you need to pick up from them in order to essentially declare victory. Beyond the stages and the bosses themselves, one of the identifying characteristics of the Mega Man series is the different weapons. And so I want to make a point to try to focus on these as we go through the series, because some of them are really good, some of them are really bad, and we're going to get some really good and really bad ones in this game. We'll get a couple of the less interesting weapons out of the way first. Iceman's Ice Slasher is a straightforward projectile. It has the effect of stunning a lot of enemies rather than defeating them, which is not terribly useful in practice. The main advantage of the Ice Slasher, aside from the fact that it is the weakness of Fireman, is that it does have the ability to freeze in place certain pillars of fires in the stages. This is one of the first real, like, stage interaction weapons in the series. It is, it is very fixed in where it applies. There's only a couple stages in the game that actually have these, but it is still very, very interesting to have this early in the series a thought towards how a weapon would actually interact with the environment. Outside of that environmental interaction, though, it's not a particularly useful weapon. It is more useful, probably, however, than Bomb Man's Hyperbomb, which is just a slow bomb that you toss out in a lob a little bit ahead of you. It lingers around for like two seconds and then it explodes. And it does some decent damage, especially to Gutsman, who's weak to it. But the fact that it takes so long to explode, in practice, makes this weapon pretty much useless for everything else in the game. The fact of the matter is, is if you can mash a button at a decent speed, there's tons of weapons in the game that can do more damage than it, and do them more reliably. Hoping your opponent is still in front of you in that spot three seconds later makes it a really hard weapon to use. The Firestorm from Fireman is also a straightforward projectile, but it comes with the interesting effect of also causing a small projectile to circle you for a moment. This gives it kind of a defensive property where you can use it against enemies that are flying towards you in order to easily protect yourself from them, because most of those enemies have extremely little HP. You definitely don't need it to defeat Bomb Man, but it helps. It is also very good against the final boss when we get to that, since both the shot itself and the surrounding projectile can deal damage simultaneously. Cutman's Rolling Cutter is a boomerang projectile that kind of loops around in front of you, going above you at first, and then kind of cycling back below you. Because this thing doesn't hit in front of you, its usefulness is kind of limited. This weapon is actually kind of decent at dealing with enemies that are on uh, a ledge above you that you want to take out in advance. It also is the one 
weapon in the game that can hurt a specific type of enemy that we'll see a lot throughout this series. It's just a small little thing that sits on the ground. It's too low for most of your weapons to hit it. And while you are standing on the ground near it, it will accelerate its path back and forth just to be a pain in the neck. This is, this is one of the more common enemy types in the game, along with a couple other faces. It's also an enemy type that we'll see constantly throughout the entire series. Uh, to tangent for a moment, other enemies that we'll see again that began in this series include the Metools, or Metars, or Mets, uh, which are basically little construction hat dudes with a pair of googly eyes on them. And when you approach them, the construction hat will lift up and they will shoot at you. Traditionally, these enemies are only damageable while they are shooting at you. Similarly, there's the Sniper Joes, which are almost human-looking robots with shields. Unless they are busy shooting at you or jumping, the shield will block any damage to them. Uh, enemies we don't really see returning in later games. We see variants of different wall turrets in this game, but they definitely look different in this one. But for the most part, the Mega Man series is very fond of revisiting certain enemy designs. For instance, Fireman Stage has enemies that like lift up from the fire beneath the stage and then come floating back down once they've soared off the top of the stage. We'll see enemies kind of like that throughout. Getting back to the weapons, the worst weapon in the game has to go to the super arm, which is Gutsman's weapon. The super arm has a very, very specific use case. On very specific stages, there are parts of the scenery that are basically grabbable blocks. You can use the super arm to pick them up and then you can throw them as what is admittedly a fairly high damage widespread chunk. It does it does allow you to eliminate Cutman very, very quickly the first time you fight him. The second time you fight him, because that's a thing which we'll get into in a bit when we cover the Wily stages, the second time you fight him, there isn't even any blocks to pick up. And that's the problem with the super arm, is it is it is an extremely specific use weapon that they forgot to actually give you opportunities to use throughout this game. It is literally useless if there is not those blocks in the room around you, and there's only a couple stages which happened. And here's the double kicker. You don't need to use the super arm to remove those blocks, because Elecman's Thunder Beam is the most overpowered weapon in this game. The Thunder Beam has the advantage of shooting a projectile straight up, straight down, and a large projectile in front of you, all of which do fairly high damage, which can destroy the blocks that would normally require the super arm to remove. And if that isn't enough, I don't think it would be fair to not mention the pause glitch in this game. The pause glitch is a very specific glitch in Mega Man 1. It is only in Mega Man 1, and it takes advantage of the fact that there are two pause buttons in this game. One of them, start, essentially removes everything from the field, and brings up your menu of weapons so that you can change to a different one. Very straightforward, isn't broken in any way. The select button is a more traditional pause where everything just freezes. However, normally uh, bosses in this game have a few invincibility frames, much like the player themselves. When you hit a boss with a weapon, they flash and they won't take any more damage for a couple seconds. When you use this select pause button, they kind of forgot to not have invincibility frames ticked down. With the size of Elecman's projectile, it is extremely easy to fire this at an enemy, have them take damage, pause immediately after, and then unpause, and the invincibility frames will be gone, and they will be immediately struck by it again. This is, again, we'll get to this in a moment, but this is the only sensible way to deal with a certain boss later in the game. But it it famously makes Elecman's weapon one of the most powerful weapons the series has ever seen. And technically, it is doable with other weapons, but Thunderbeam is probably the most famous instance of it, and the fact that it's just, it is such a 
big, easy-to-use weapon that covers most of the use cases of the other weapons in the game by itself, there is no real downside to this thing either. It's not like it uses a ton of its ammunition whenever you use it. It's just good. And it would be my pick for most broken weapon in the game if not for the bonus weapon. In Elecman's stage, well, I call it a bonus weapon, but it's not really optional. In Elecman's stage, if you return to Elecman's stage once you have the Thunder Beam, or you bring Gutsman's Super Arm to the stage, you can pick up a unique item called the Magnet Beam. And the Magnet Beam has ammo, and is technically a weapon, even though it doesn't deal any damage. This was the first purely utility ability in the Mega Man series. And what it essentially does is create a series of platforms in front of you. The longer you hold the button, the longer the platforms are. When you release the button, the platforms stick in place. If you didn't catch on to what I mean, I just said we're in a 2D platformer, which is fond of like instant death pits and spikes from time to time. And here's a button that literally allows you to extend out a platform and place it somewhere. You can even place them in midair and jump up chains of them if you know what you're doing. And you will have to do that to beat one of the stages coming up. This is kind of silly. <laughs> it's a touch awkward to get used to the timing of it in order to actually like jump up onto it and continue to scale walls, but once you get your hands on this, most of the platforming in this game is utterly trivialized. And to be fair, that's kind of what I like about the Mega Man series. Properly using the tools that you earn makes the game easier, and that's that's how it should be. The entire point is you go through these different stages, you pick up these different weapons, and they help you elsewhere. There are some games in this series that we're going to find out do this better than others. Some of them don't do it well at all. Once you've completed all six of the stages and gathered up your full arsenal, then you can travel to the Dr. Wily stages. This has one of my favorite little moments in the game when you first select Dr. Wily. Much like the Robot Masters do upon selection, he jumps out into the center of the screen, and a little ditty plays, and then instead of starting the stage, Dr. Wily's UFO comes down, picks him up, and he flies off. Right there on the stage select screen, which is kind of fun. Unlike the previous stages, you have to complete all the Wily stages in a row. If you realize you can't do it, and you decide to go back and try a different stage for whatever reason, you'll be back at stage one. And that's going to kind of suck because I didn't bring this up, but this game has no passwords, no save points, no nothing. Mega Man 1 requires you to beat it in a single playthrough. Which, the levels aren't super long, it's not a super difficult game, but it's worth being aware of. Wily Stage 1 is basically the gate to see if you've learned your different weapons. It is because the game now can expect that you have all the different weapons in the game, it's going to demand it. You'll need a weapon that's able to break through super arm blocks. You'll need to be able to use the ice cutter to freeze some fire in order to get through a section reliably. You'll even need to have found the magnet beam in order to scale a wall at one in a couple rooms because there's no other way to clear the platforms. This creates what's probably the first instance in the series of weapon energy screw. All your weapons do have limited ammunition. If you run out of ammunition, die, and get set back to a checkpoint before the point where you need it, you're going to either have to straight up game over in order to refill everything, or you're going to have to farm enemies for quite a while and hope, hope, that they're nice enough to actually drop weapon energy refills for you. There's some more noticeable points in the series than this one, in terms of 
screwing you over if you've run out of weapon energy. Uh, and at least this is the first stage of Dr. Wily's factory, because unless you game over, your weapon energy will not refill between stages of Wily's factory. Also, the first Wily stage ends in what would become one of the most famous bosses in Mega Man history, the Yellow Devil. If you've never seen the Yellow Devil before, it's basically a big blob with arms and legs and an eye in the center. And that doesn't sound like anything that bad, but here's the deal. How the Yellow Devil fight actually works is it goes invincible. It throws itself bit by bit across the screen and you have to dodge those chunks. Then the eye opens up, it fires a bullet at you, and then it repeats. The only time it is vulnerable is when that eye opens up, which is like once every 20 to 30 seconds. The intended way to do this with the Thunderbeam, but even that's very, very difficult to do legit. This is where the pause glitch pretty much became famous. If you can do it well enough, you can kill the Yellow Devil in one cycle, and it makes a huge, huge difference. If not, and especially if you're trying to use just your base Mega Buster still, instead of experimenting to see which weapon actually hurts this thing reliably, the Yellow Devil, I can imagine, straight up stopped many people from finishing this game. Wily Stage 2, for comparison, is not that much special to talk about, but what it does feature is the first two refights, forcing you to fight Cutman and Electman again. It would become a tradition in the Mega Man series to make you refight bosses, but in this case it literally just drops you into rooms with them as you go through the stage. You'll need to take down both these bosses before you actually reach the checkpoint of this stage, which is a little bit brutal. At the end of it, you get one of actually the more unique boss fights in the original series, which is you just enter an empty room, and then a copy of Mega Man emerges, known as the Copy Robot. And this is basically straight up a copy of you. He will walk around, he will jump, he will shoot. And what he shoots is whatever weapon you are actually equipped with at that time. A little bit of abuse of the pause glitch can make this fight a pretty easy, especially if you use Fireman's weapon, which is his weakness, but realistically, if you're fighting this guy fair, and he's not nearly as much of a pain in the neck as the Yellow Devil was, so you probably can fight him fair, this is, this is a really interesting boss, because it's largely random, but also you have control over what kind of random it is. You have to choose for yourself what weaponry you want to use against this thing. Amusingly, if you pick the super arm, neither of you do anything because there's no super arm blocks to throw. Weirdly, for the fact that you are fighting literally just another Mega Man, it does become kind of a distinctive fight for that reason. Stage 3 is a really kind of boring stage. It's a straightforward, linear, almost no-hazard stage where you're in like some piping that eventually gets flooded so it pushes you along, and then you have a boss fight, which is with apparently a water filtration bot, it is a bot encased in a bubble that circles around the outside of the room and shoots at you. And you have to kill seven of them, one after another. The main reason that this is actually a kind of a tricky boss is that his weakness is the super arm, and there is super arm bosses in the center of the arena. However, each use of the super arm will only be able to kill one of them. And once you start removing these blocks, you will no longer actually be able to jump over this bot. It is too big. So you'll need to mash, you'll need to take advantage of pause glitching, or just anything you can, 
well, you don't need pause glitching, but it is it is an absurdly simple boss. It's kind of disappointing in that regard. I said it was interesting, but I'm not so sure. It's It literally just runs around the outside of the arena and occasionally shoots you. I don't know. Whatever. Stage 3 is the worst of them. Uh, in the final stage, uh, you have some dangerous jumps to make, uh, and then a teleporter, and also beneath it, I'm going to mention this episode's sponsor, the Yoshichi, which is to say, there's this weird little, it looks like one of those, like, pinwheel fans that you would have had as a kid. Apparently, it's an item that has appeared in a bunch of very, very early Capcom games as kind of like a signature. In this game, if you bother to pick it up, which is a little bit out of the way, if you've run out of Magnet Beam at this point, it might be dangerous to pick up because you have to make a couple precise jumps over spikes if you don't have the Magnet Beam. But doing so nets you an immediate refill of your life, all of your weapons, and 100,000 bonus points. I haven't even mentioned points at this uh, yet. Mega Man has a points system in it. It's literally pointless. There is no extra lives if you get a bunch of points. Enemies just randomly occasionally drop point items. They are not actually worth points to defeat. Stages will net you points on clear, but the amount is random. Like, there just is a score counter in this game, and there's no reason for it to be there other than Capcom was an arcade developer and hadn't yet fully understood, oh, we're not developing an arcade game anymore. We don't need a score system. There isn't even a high score board for it to appear on. It's so weird to me. <laughs> but anyway, you're going to want to pick up the Yoshichi, especially if you've made it this far without getting a game over and having to continue, because replenishing all your weapons is very, very important, because the last part of Wily Stage 4 is, first off, a boss rush against all four of the remaining bosses. Bombman, Fireman, Iceman, and Gutsman. One after another, after another, after another. You're not going to get any life back between them. You really just need to go all out with their weaknesses if you want any chance to actually get through them. Defeat them all, and you reach the final checkpoint and can face the Wily Machine. The Wily Machine is this weird floating contraption that Wily's UFO has plugged into the top of. As a final boss, it's actually kind of almost a little bit nothing. The first form just kind of occasionally lobs a shot in your direction, and that's easy enough to deal with just by not being right in front of it when it's firing and just moving back and forth. It is very, very quickly dealt with by getting up in its face and using the Firestorm, because, again... The spiraling projectile around the firestorm will take it down quick. Afterwards, the visor on the front of the machine breaks. You can see Dr. Wily and the machine's health refills. Now it just occasionally fires a shot aimed directly at you, but which kind of follows like a circling pattern. Kind of like it's spiraling in that direction. It's a little bit difficult to explain. It's not really threatening you can use more or less any weapon you want in order to finish this off. It doesn't actually have a specific weakness and is the one boss in the game that does not. But other than that, like, the final boss, the only thing that I think really makes the final boss threatening is if you ended up with no extra lives and are still damaged from fighting all the bosses beforehand, because it's kind of a joke. We'll see some final bosses throughout the rest of the series that are much more terrifying, and most importantly... If, you have, if you're familiar with the later Mega Man games, but haven't played Mega Man 1, you might have noticed that I didn't mention a certain type of final boss here, and that's because there isn't. It's literally just Wily plugged into the top of this weird robot thing, and that's it. Dr. Wily's been defeated, and the world is saved. For now. 
Now, one thing I will take a moment to talk a bit more about is the music of this game. This is an audio podcast, after all. We might as well take advantage of that. Mega Man is a series that will go on to become really, really well-known for its music, like a lot of series would at this time. But, to be honest, I don't think the original game's soundtrack is particularly impressive. And a lot of this has to do, I think, with just the composers still getting used to what it means to program on the NES. But also, most of the music tracks in this game are like 30 seconds before they loop. And it's kind of hard for a game to really pull that off, to really have short loops and still be effective. And, I mean, Mega Man's music does all right for that. There's a couple of the stage themes are kind of interesting, but the boss theme is so... (laughs) I mean, it's recognizable for its simplicity, but also it takes like eight seconds for it to loop, and that's not much of anything of value. It's not really pushing the NES sound chip. There isn't a whole lot that sounds interesting, except maybe a little bit of Fireman's theme, which uses an instrument that's that's a little bit scratchy, but not necessarily in a bad way. Probably the only stage that really creates a unique ambience is actually uh, the second Dr. Wily stage theme, which has a little bit of pressure to it, which is fitting given that you're approaching the end of the game. One track I do actually want to specifically shout out is the ending track. This is a longer track than most of the rest of the tracks in the game, but also includes a key piece of music that would go on to actually be reused as kind of the sound of Mega Man in what would become one of the more famous tracks of the series when we see it again next game. Ultimately, when it comes to Mega Man 1, this is a really important game that is impressive for the things that it did different, and is impressive for the experimentation that it did. This is so important. So much of what Mega Man was, and is, and continues to be, was founded in this game. But also, it hasn't really been nailed down yet. And that's sort of what limits this game. Everything, if you go back to this game, 
after having played other games. And I will tell you, this was one of the last of the classic series games I actually got to play as a kid. Going back to this one, everything feels slightly off. And it's in like really weird ways. Like just the enemy drops for power and weapon recharge don't quite look right. There's there's no password system figured out just yet. Why is there a score system? Why did there why did there need to be? It's not really until Mega Man 2 that I think they really pin down and solidify exactly what they wanted the game to feel like, but Mega Man 1 was still the foundation that Mega Man 2 would be built on. Would I recommend it? I don't know if I'd recommend it as somebody's first Mega Man game. But I think anybody who has played any of the Mega Man games probably should go back and familiarize themselves at least with the original game at some point. It's not really that hard to do anymore. It is not particularly difficult to get your hands on this game, after all. Just a couple of years ago, and we may do an entire episode on this one at some point, the Mega Man Legacy Collection did happen. It's on most major systems that are current. It's on PC, it's on Switch, it's on three, It's on Xbox One, it should be on PS4, or maybe it was on PS3, I don't remember. The point is, is that's available and gives such an accurate emulation that you even have an option to maintain any like slowdown that the game might have experienced, or sprite flicker. The game's also been kind of like reimagined and reestablished tons of times throughout the series. This game has also seen release on the PlayStation 2 and GameCube. It's it was available on the Wii Virtual Console. It is still available on the 3DS and Wii U Virtual Consoles. Like it is not hard to get your hands on a version of this game. But that's that's about it. That's all I really have to say for the original Mega Man. Next time, uh, we'll be moving two years ahead to 1989 with the game you would expect to be a successor to Mega Man, and arguably the most famous and well-beloved of the series, Mega Man 2. So I'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch, I'm available at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at whatamipodcast4, as in the number 4, because Twitter handles can only be so long. If you want an RSS feed for this, uh, I think there's going to be one at waipf.podbean.com. You can find one. That's our main distribution, but also, if you want, uh, you can probably pick this up theoretically on your podcasting platform of choice, because Podbean is supposed to distribute to most of those. I don't really know how this all works. I'm just sort of winging it. Let's pretend I know what I'm doing. So thank you all for listening. And remember, the super harm really, really sucks. (laughs) 